bad sign when the preacher heads to the back of the church and comes up with a yardstick if you're looking for signs. That looks straight, Dennis. Very good. I'm going to guess at some of these here. It may not be proportioned right. That's a timeline. My message this morning, first of all, as I realized I was going to be sharing, my thoughts were running through what I'm going to share about. A number of things uh, kind of set the stage for where I want to go with this. And one was uh, the Sunday school lesson. I was reading that throughout the week here. And earlier in the week here, I came across a thought, and we touched very, very close on it. Alice came the closest uh, in one of the thoughts he shared. On page 22, there's a thought that, that grabbed my attention in the commentary, uh, the consequences of unbelief. And it says, our spiritual safety rests in filling our lives with the truth of the word and with good thoughts and deeds and then there will be no place for bad or evil in our lives. I was thinking about, you know, what, what can I give to you to prepare you for 2018? What is the best thing I could give to you? And I, I think that sums it up in, in a nutshell. We need to meditate, fill our lives with the truth of the Word, and that will produce fruit of good thoughts, good deeds, as, as God works through our lives, as we meditate in His Word. The second thing that uh, led me to share what I want to share, I, I like to read. I like to read, and oftentimes, if I'm not too tired, I, I read before I, I fall asleep. Uh, my wife does that, so it's good companionship. I read too, and and I was out of. Uh, I've been reading, so I like something really light to read because my. Uh, you know, oftentimes what happens is the book is, is up here and after a bit it's, you know, down here and you're in the dreamland. And sometimes you pick the book up the next night and, well, where'd you stop? Where'd you, where'd you start? And uh, so it's very light reading. I was reading a book, uh, I was reading a series of books, actually, and it's, it's uh, some of you may laugh about it, but it's the Riverboat series. Anybody know about the Riverboat series? It's a lot of history on the Mississippi River. And uh, very light reading, but I enjoyed it because it was, it was history. I enjoy reading history. I enjoy reading true life stories, biographies. Not so much novels. I have read some novels in the past. <clears throat> but uh, I like things that are based on factual history and, and truth. And uh, so I, had, I, I, I was out of reading material. And Loss had uh, ordered a series of books for me. And... Uh, when I saw my, is there a saying about you shouldn't judge a book by its cover? <laughs> the cover didn't, uh, didn't attract my attention, and it didn't look like my caliber of reading. And so I left them lay there for quite a while. I didn't read them. And uh, finally, out of desperation, I picked one up and, and started reading it. To me, it looked like a romance novel, so <laughs> I, uh, I didn't pick it up right away. Uh, but I did pick it up and started reading. The book is titled... Uh, uh, Jacob's Choice, and is actually based on the uh, uh, 
Jacob Hostetler's massacre there in North Kill, Pennsylvania, the earliest Amish settlement in America. But uh, as I was thinking about what to share, I, I thought, you know, here we stand today on the threshold of 2018. And, uh, you know, we, we typically do this, at least I do. We, we reflect back over the past year, and, and what I wanted to do was reflect back this morning way back and, uh, and look at, at, you know, where we've come from, what is, what is happening. And uh, so I was, I was reflecting back over this experience and the things that I was reading. The, uh, the, this is a novel. It's written by Stutzman. He may be a descendant of Jacob Hostel, and I'm not sure. And uh, so he's recounting. And uh, as I was reading this novel, the question that kept coming back to me is, okay, how much of this is actual factual truth? Uh, you know, how many details are added? And uh, so I started doing a little research, and I, I realized that there is, it, it's pretty accurate. A lot of the things that are shared in that, that book, that story, are, are true and, and factual and actually uh, uh, happened at the uh, massacre there in September 1757. As I was thinking about uh, the uncertainty that that family faced, uh, you know, due to the uh, Indian, French and Indian War particularly, that's when the massacre took place, um, you know, the uncertainty... As they settled, they fleeing Europe and the persecution that they faced there for their belief. And then only to have it somewhat resurface here in America again, only in a, in a different way, where their non-resistance was put to the test. And uh, if you remember the story, uh, the account that's uh, with Jacob Hostetter there, the, the boys, I think, would have liked to have taking some shots at the Indians as they, they came around them. But the father stood firm too, and they, they abided by his wishes. Uh, matter of fact, I'm told that one of the sons still contended after he came out of captivity, came home several years later. He said he thinks it could have been avoided if they had not, if they had taken, uh, used force in, in uh, preventing it from happening. But uh, again, that I'm not sure if that's 100% true or not, but uh, one of the other things I cannot document is true or not, but there was a martyr's mirror that was recovered from the ashes of that cabin, and again, I don't know if this is factual or not, but uh, they said that he had penned, Jacob had penned by that picture of Dirk Williams there rescuing his persecutor, he, uh, he said, here's a life that's worth living, and uh, of course he paid dearly for that, that for that faith, for that uh, doctrine, in losing his wife, and uh, I believe two of his children, I believe, were killed in that massacre. And him and two of the other sons were, were taken captive. So I was thinking about that, and I was thinking about, uh, you know, what what we face as Christians today. And I, I thought about the, the poem, The Unbarred Door, and uh, I, uh, I think this was probably given in a school program. Was this at U. Ellis, or was this Miss Frieda? Don't remember, huh? <laughs> I think our children have to memorize it, if I remember correctly. I'm going to read through this poem, The Unbarred Door. When on America's eastern plains still roamed her forest child, and the new homes of Europe's sons were rising in the wild, upon a clearing in a wood, Amos had built his cot. He tilled his little farm and lived content with his lot. A just, peace-loving man was he, kind unto all and true, and well his ever-open door the wandering Indian knew. But often were the settlers' hands, by force or fraud, but often were the settlers' lands, 
by force or fraud obtained, and to the red man dispossessed, revenge alone remain. And round the blazing terror of logs, when winter nights were cold, to shuddering listeners, listeners, dreadful tales of Indian raids were told. But Amos feared not, though his home all undefended lay, and still his never-bolted door was open night and day. One morn a neighbor passed in haste, Indians, they say, are nigh. So Amos, bolt your, bolt your door tonight and keep your powder dry. My friend, said he, the God I serve commands me not to kill, and sooner would I yield my life than disobey his will. One gun I have, but used alone against the wolf or bear, to point it at my fellow man, my hand would never dare. But I shall put the thing away, they shall not see it here, for the old gun in hands unskilled might do some harm, I fear. Besides, the Indians are my friends. They would not do me ill. Here they found an open door, and they shall find it still. Well, said the neighbor as he went, my faith is not so clear. It, if wretches come to take my life, I mean to sell it dear. But the good wife of Amos stood and listened with affright. Unless, she said, that door is fast, I shall not sleep tonight. And with her words, as women can, she urged her husband sore, till for the sake of household peace, at last he barred the door. They went to rest, and soon the wife was wrapped in some slumber deep, but Amos turned and tossed about and vainly tried to sleep. Then came a voice within his heart, a mild rebuke it bore. It whispered, Thou of little faith, why hast thou barred thy door? Weak is that poor defense of thine against a hostile band, Stronger that strongest fortress, the shadow of my hand. Hast thou not said these many times that I have power to save? And when my servants' trembling feet were sinking neath the wave, now let thy actions with thy words in full accord agree. Rise quickly and unbar thy door and trust alone in me. Then Amos from his bed arose and softly trod the floor, crept down the stairs and noiselessly unbarred the cottage door. Then forth he looked into the night, starlight it was, and still, and slowly rose the waning moon behind the tree-ringed hill. He looked with trustful, reverent gaze up to the starry sky, as meets a child with loving glance, a tender father's eye. The cloud was lifted from his brow, his doubts were over now. The cool air breathed a kiss of peace upon his tranquil brow. Then back to his forsaken bed he slowly groped his way, and slept the slumber of the just until the dawn of day. That night a painted warrior band through the dark forest sped with steps as light upon the leaves as panthers' stealthy tread. They reached the farm. We make no war with good and faithful men. The foremost Indian turned and said, Here dwells a son of Penn. But brother, if still his heart is right, how shall we surely know? Answered another. Time brings changes, and oft turns friend to foe. Said the first one, I will go and gently try the door. If open still it proves, his heart is as it was before. It yielded, and they entered in. Across the room they stepped, and came where Amos and his wife calmly and unconscious slept. With tomahawk and scalping knife, they stood beside the pair. A solemn stillness filled the room. An angel guard was there. The eye sought eye and seemed to say, How sound the good man sleeps. So may they rest and fear no ill, whom the great spirit keeps. Then noiselessly they left the room and closed the door behind, and on their deadly war trail passed some other prey to find. 
and horror shrieked around their steps, and bloodshed marked their way. And many homes were desolate when rose another day. But Amos, with a thankful heart, greeted the morning light, and knew not until after years how near was death that night. Author Unknown. That happened in 1757. 200 years later, that's my birthday, 1957. I was born probably about 25 miles away the crow flies from Northkill, Pennsylvania. Anybody ever, there's a historical marker there. Anybody ever been to that historical marker? It's off a little route, US 22, I think. A few of you? Okay. Uh, something I'd like to look up sometime. But. Uh, you know, as I, as I reflected back over the years, you know, the, the time, you know, the change that them 200 years brought, uh, you know, what the early settlers faced, the uncertainty, um, you know, do we face fears today, threats today? Um, does life have its stresses? Um, certainly it does. Today there's threats in different ways perhaps. I had to think, you know, are, are the spiritual threats more real today than they were maybe physical pearls? I don't know. I haven't thought that through. You can think about that. Is the spiritual threat hyping up today more than it is was back then? I don't know. I didn't live during that time, so I don't know. But, uh, you know, we hear of nuclear threats from North Dakota. We hear of terrorist threats. We hear of uh, domestic violence, crime, and mass acts of violence against innocent people. And, uh, you know, so there, there are threats out there. There's physical threats, not, not in the way that the early settlers encountered them. But uh, Chapman uh, University listed the top ten fears that Americans face today in two, or faced in 2017 and 74.5% said their, their biggest fear was the corruption that's in our government leaders. 74.5% of the people are worried about that. That was the number one. 55.3% and, and were concerned about health care. 53.1% uh, pollution of rivers, lakes, and oceans. 50.4% said they're concerned more about the pollution of our drinking water coming out of the earth. 50.2% uh, not, not having enough of finances or money for the future. 48.4% were concerned about high medical bills. Uh, 48, I tied with that was another one, 48.4% about the U.S. being involved in another war. 48% uh, said they're concerned about global warming and climate change. 47.5% mentioned the nuclear uh, war threat with North Korea particularly. And then 44.9% said they're generally concerned about the air pollution, you know, the environment in which we live. And uh, so those are some of the fears that... Uh, Americans said they were concerned about it. And I had to think about, you know, what would, what would we list as fears this morning? If I listed 1 to 10, what would be the number one fear that we would be concerned about? I'm not going to do that this morning. I want to move on to some better things. But uh, uh, I'd like to invite you to turn to 2 Samuel chapter 22, uh, verses, uh, I want to read that entire chapter. This is actually a psalm of David, and that's why I went back all the way to David. David was approximately, I think, a thousand years before Christ. And then we come up here to 1957. Now, we're just a little beyond 2,000 years since Christ. Uh, 
There was one other thought I was going to mention in regards to the calendar, and I'm just going to mention it in passing because I see time is getting away. How many of you have ever heard of the idea of old Christmas? Some of the, particularly the Amish, and that's actually brought out in that book, and I researched some of that out a little too, and I never really understood why that all was, but back in 1545, the calendar they were using was not accurate, and so things were getting out of color. So they authorized the Pope to correct that, and there was a year, if I have the year here correct, I think it was in 1582. Now, some of the nations didn't adopt that at the same time, and some of them used different ways to correct it, but Pope Gregory XIII decreed that there would be 10 days eliminated from the calendar year in 1582. So from October 5th, it jumped from October 5th to October 15th in that year. So if you'd had your birthday in between that, in that span, you'd have missed your birthday that year. But they got it actually a lot more accurate. What was happening was the, like the equinoxes were getting off whack. They were, as time went on, and they knew it was wrong, but they couldn't come up with a good way to fix it until finally they did. Some countries did it in a more gradual way. Some just did it abruptly like that. But anyway, at that point, Christmas was actually in January. And when they took them 10 days out, it moved it back into December. And so that's, there was resistance, especially from Protestant circles, to accept that because it felt like, well, the Pope was involved in it, first of all. And so that was resistance. They said, you know, hey, you're messing with something pretty sacred here. This is Christ's birthday. And so Amish today, I still think, observe old Christmas, if I'm not correct. The old order of Mennonites, team Mennonites, do they? I wonder. I don't know. They still observe old Christmas or not. Immaterial. Well, Second Samuel chapter 22, as I, I thought about David's experience here, actually, I went to Nave's Topical Bible, and the thing that, that the, the word that came into focus as I thought about, I thought about trust. And uh, so I was thinking about trust. Okay, we need trust. We need, uh, we need something to sustain us through two, 2018. And, uh, you know, there's, we talked about in the Sunday school lesson as far as, you know, how things are, are you know, going the wrong way. And, uh, but uh, when I pulled Nave's topical Bible off my shelf and looked at trust, you know what it told me? Anybody know? Take a guess. It didn't have any references. It said, see faith. And uh, so then I turned to faith. And, of course, this ties into our Sunday school lesson very closely. And then there was pages and pages and pages and pages. And I, I got hung up on the first reference that, that Naves listed there. And that was actually this account here in Second Samuel chapter 22. And uh, it's an expression of David's faith and, and the way God has worked in his life. Now, as, before we read this chapter, I want you to think about, place yourself... Here's David before Christ. And I don't know exactly what all he understood about Christ. But he's a, he's a forerunner of Christ. He's, he's in the lineage of Christ. And uh, yet he's faithfully filling his obligation uh, in his time and era in which, we li- which he was living. We are this side of, eternity, we are this side of, of Christ looking back. And how faithful are we in exemplifying what God wants us to do? David was faithful. David wasn't perfect. We know that. He had his failures, his shortcomings. We have our failures and shortcomings as well. But yet God could use him in a very powerful way to to work his purposes in his uh, plan and will and kingdom. And that's that's the thrust I want you to take along home this morning is that you, even though we're this side of Christ by over 2,000 years, 
we need to be faithful in portraying, living out what Christ wants us to be in his kingdom. Second Samuel chapter 22. And David spake unto the Lord, and the words of this song in the day that the Lord had delivered him out of the hand of all his enemies and out of the hand of Saul. And he said, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. The Lord is my rock and him will I trust. He is my shield and the horn of my salvation, my high tower and my refuge, my Savior. Thou savest me from violence. I will call on the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from mine enemies. When the waves of death come past me, the floods of ungodly men make me afraid. The sorrows of hell compassed me about. The snares of death prevented me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord and cried to my God, and he did hear my voice out of his temple, and my cry did enter into his ears. Then the earth shook and trembled. The foundations of the heaven moved and shook because he was wroth. There went up a smoke out of his nostrils, and fire out of his mouth devoured. Coals were kindled by it. He bowed the heavens also and came down, and darkness was under his feet. And he rode upon a cherub and did fly, and he was seen upon the wings of the wind. And he made darkness pavilions round about him, dark waters and thick clouds of the skies. Though through the brightness before him were the coals of fire kindled, the Lord thundered from heaven, and the Most High uttered his voice. And he sent out arrows and scattered them, lightning and discomfited them. And the channels of the sea appeared. The foundations of the world were discovered at the rebuking of the Lord, at the blast of the breath of his nostrils. He sent from above. He took me, he drew me out of many waters. He delivered me from my strong enemy and from them that hate, hated me, for they were too strong for me. They prevented me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my stay. He brought me forth also into a large place. He delivered me because he delighted in me. The Lord rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands hath he recompensed me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord, and have not wickedly departed from my God. For all his judgments were before me, and as for his statutes, I did not depart from them. I was also upright before him, and I have kept myself from mine iniquity. Therefore the Lord hath recompensed me according to my righteousness, according to my cleanness in his eyesight. With the merciful thou wilt show thyself merciful, and with the upright man thou wilt show thyself upright. With the pure thou wilt show thyself pure, and with the forward thou wilt show thyself unsavory. And the afflicted people thou wilt save, but thine eyes are upon the haughty, that thou mayest bring them down. For thou art my lamp, O Lord, and the Lord will lighten my darkness. For by thee have I run through a troop, and by my God have I leaped over a wall. As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is tried. He is a buckler to all them that trust in him. For who is God save the Lord, and who is a rock save our God? God is my strength and power, and he maketh my way perfect. He maketh my feet like hinds feet, and setteth, setteth me upon my high places. He teacheth my hands to war, so that a bow of steel is broken by mine arms. Thou hast also given me the shield of thy salvation, and thy gentleness hath made me great. Thou hast enlarged my steps under me, so that my feet did not slip. I have pursued mine enemies, and have destroyed them, and turned not again until I have consumed them. And I have consumed them, and wounded them, and they, that, and they could not arise. Yea, they are fallen under my feet, for thou hast girded me with strength to battle. Them that rose up against me hast thou subdued under me. 
Thou hast also given me the necks of mine enemies, that I might destroy them that hate me. They looked, but there were none to save, even, the, even unto the Lord, but he answered them not. Then did I beat them as small as the dust of the earth, and I did stamp them as the mire of the street, and did spread them abroad. Thou also hast delivered me from the strivings of my people. Thou hast kept me to be head of the heathen, a people which knew not shall serve me. Strangers shall submit themselves unto me. As soon as they hear, they shall be obedient unto me. Strangers shall fade away, and they shall be afraid out of their close places. The Lord liveth, and blessed be my rock, and exalted be the God of the rock of my salvation. It is God that avengeth me, and that bringeth down the people under me, and that bringeth me forth from mine enemies. Thou, hast also, thou also hast lifted me up on high above them that rose up against me. Thou hast delivered me from the violent man. Therefore I will give thanks unto thee, O Lord, among the heathen, and I will sing praises unto thy name. He is the tar of salvation for his king, and showeth mercy to his anointed unto David, and to his seed forevermore. <clears throat> Title of my meditation is A Perfect 2018. And uh, I borrowed that from the phrase here in that God's, verse 31, God's ways are perfect. A number of things I'd like to uh, pick out from this Psalm of David in verse 1. David clearly is saying that God is bigger than all of our enemies and the fears that we may face, even in 2018. Now, David lived a thousand years before Christ for 2,000 other sides. Does that change it? Absolutely not. God is eternal. God is all-powerful. And if David can make that expression, that needs to be the expression of our faith as well. That the God we serve, the God we're, we're serving is, is greater and bigger than, uh, than any of our enemies and fears. As I thought about you know, the enemies and fears that we face, and, and questioning whether it may be the spiritual dimension of it may be ratcheting up, I, I don't know for sure and what your perspective would be on that. And you may say, well, we haven't experienced full deliverance yet. And that's true. We have not experienced deliverance from, from this world, this life yet. Uh, we have not experienced. And I don't know what price we'll have to pay from a temporal, physical standpoint. Uh, like Jacob Hertzler prayed, paid dearly for his uh, faith by losing his wife and children in his belief and embracing non-resistance. Um... Uh, as I thought about uh, not experiencing deliverance yet, I asked myself, is that God's problem or is that my problem? We have experienced deliverance from sin. And uh, that's the ultimate deliverance that we experience in this, this side of eternity. The physical is secondary. We tend to get it wrong sometimes. We... Uh, we, we Hold out and reserve because we, 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 because of what it's going to cost us physically. At least that's the way I sometimes get it wrong. And as I think about that, you know, if we have not experienced deliverance, is that God's problem or our problem? I think it's our problem. God has promised us deliverance. You know, Jacob, as he was experiencing, he was in captivity, I think eight months approximately with the Indians there. And he was determined to show the love of Christ to those Indians. He, 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 he uh, eventually escaped, and, uh, but he, 
he, uh, he was determined not to let his physical captivity destroy his spirit. And uh, I found that impressive. And uh, I think it's when we totally surrender to God. You know, God knew what was happening to Jacob Hertzler. He was captive there with the Indians. He knew he had lost those that were nearest and dearest to him in this life. And it was a test. It was a trial. And, uh, you know, we don't know sometimes what our response would be. How could we handle a test like that? But, you know, when we have totally surrendered to God, we can have confidence that we will experience deliverance. We will experience deliverance. Uh, it may not be in the way that we anticipate. It could be deliverance from this life. But the promise and the trust that I want to give to you this morning is that, is that of David's. We can lay claim to the promise that our God is bigger than all of our enemies and fears. Bigger than all of nuclear, bigger than all of North Korea's nuclear misery. Mis, misery. <laughs> Am I saying that right? Misery. <laughs> that ain't even a word, is it? But uh, missiles. Second point I want to draw your attention to is in verses 2 through 7. I, I'd like to, David said, realized the importance of calling upon the Lord. In verse 4, he says, I will call on the Lord who is worthy to be praised, so shall I be saved from mine enemies. God's ears are open to the cry of his children. God is simply waiting to hear from us. When should we cry to God? Well, it mentions a number of things. When we need a rock there in verse 2. Uh, when we need something solid, absolute. Uh, when everything else is being swept away. Morals are crumbling. Everything else around us is falling. That's when we need to cry unto the Lord. It mentions the aspect of a high tower. Uh, a refuge, a, a safety shelter from, uh, from violence and fear. mentions the idea of death as well uh, in those verses. Fear, no death, but spiritual death. And uh, so our cry needs to be to God, as David's cry was to, to his God. Third, verses 8, to thick, verses 8 through 16, I'd like, you to, to, I'd like you to think of looking and listening for the work and the presence of God in 2018. Look for the, the presence and the work of God in 2018. And that was mentioned in our Sunday school lesson. Somebody mentioned that, that God is still working. He is still uh, you know, doing and performing those things that uh, are according to his will. Uh, verse 10 mentions, it says that uh, he puts darkness under his feet. Uh, evil. God's power is as real today as it was in creation or any time. God who could disperse the darkness in creation. God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And uh, especially as we think of darkness as evil and the world today is full of evil. God's darkness or God can put darkness under his feet is the way that the, uh, David expresses it here. Verse 16 has an interesting concept. And the channels of the sea appeared. The foundations of the world were discovered. Where are the foundations of the world today? Where are the foundations of the world? God laid them. God designed the earth. Man is searching for it, isn't it? And they've come up with an idea of evolution. And... Uh, God laid the foundation. He knows where they're at. He's holding that earth in stability as long as he, he wants to. 
Um, I believe we should be good stewards of the earth that God has entrusted to us. But, uh, you know, to become overly obsessed with it, as our culture has, is, seems to be, and, and throwing the other moral values away is, is I believe, uh, distasteful to God. Look and listen for God's work. He continues to, to push back darkness, push back the darkness of the world today. Sometimes I think it's our focus that we, we think, and it is, the world is degenerating. People's values are deteriorating, and they're selling out cheaply. But uh, yet God is still at work in the world today. He desires to work through you and I as his people today. And will we be that channel through which the light can shine? Fourth thing I, I want to give you to take home is in uh, verses 17 through 30. Uh, he's doing, David's doing exactly what we were just doing here. He's reflecting back over all of the things that God had done for him. He's praising God for, for what he has done. And I believe that's good for us. It, it reassures us as we reflect back over our lives. And I was going to bring up another date here, 19... No wonder I didn't match it. That's supposed to be 1977. Uh, no, that was 57. Here's 77. This is the one I was going to talk about a little bit. Um, that was in the early days of this congregation. 1977... Uh, my wife, uh, Loss, and Rachel's family had taken a trip through here, stopped in here, and visited. And I think if I have the story correctly, there was three families, Arnie's and Donald Geigley's and Harley Kaufman's that were here yet, I think, at that time. Three families. Is that right, Don? Don't you remember? In 77. And I think you were all thinking of leaving at that point. And uh, in, within a year... Uh, Arl and Becky had moved in, Arl and Becky Geigling, and we had moved in, and uh, Bible school had came, 78, January of 78, so there was new life breathed into the congregation, and, you know, here we are today, not because of who we are, but because of who God is. Uh, God has uh, continued to build and to uh, work in the lives of uh, his people in building his church, we praise him for that. So that's reflecting back over the things that God has done. Uh, in the past, uh, oh, tell what the Lord has done for you. Uh, making it personal has power to convince others uh, of who God is and his, his ability to change and, and affect things in their lives as well. It's important that we maintain a right relationship with God. Notice verse 30 particularly. That jumped out to me as I looked at that verse 30. Uh, David here, he's saying, for, me, for thee, I have run through a troop. And I'm not exactly sure what he's referring to there. He says, by my God, I have leaped over a wall. But uh, the lesson that I take from that is that God, with God, obstacles are nothing. You, we sometimes think we're up against it. But with God, obstacles are absolutely nothing. There's no obstacle too great for God. You take that in 2018, and I think we can go places. Uh, you want to go along? I'm ready. Again, looking at what God has done for us is an impressive way to build up and bolster our faith and trust in Him. We need that. I need that. The fifth thing I'd like to encourage you to do is to improve your vision. Look beyond time. 
And I'm talking to myself. Uh, you know, maybe our natural vision is declining. But you know, just because our natural vision is declining doesn't mean our spiritual vision needs to decline. You know, verse 31, I mentioned that. It says, As for God, His way is perfect. The word of the Lord is tried. He is a buckler, or the NIV, I think, says the idea of a shield to all them that trust in Him. God is our buckler. God is our shield to those that trust in Him. Do I believe that God's way is perfect? We were talking about faith in God this morning. And sometimes when things don't work out the way we think they should work out, does that challenge my faith? Does that destroy my faith? Does that give me uh, confidence to continue trusting Him? And that's why I raised the question, does it take more faith to believe that God could have answered and didn't answer it, answered in a different way? I'm always challenged with that thought to realize that, that God's ways are perfect. Can I accept them as that? God's word can be trusted. You know, I was talking about reading novels. This isn't a novel. This is the absolute truth. We need to read it. I need to read it daily through 2016. I don't know what your Bible reading plans are. I know Brother Arnie always challenges on that, and he's not here. But uh, I was challenged. I, you know, I don't, there's multiple methods you can use to read through the Bible in a year. And I'm not saying you have to read through it in a year. Just read through it. If it takes five years, ten years. It took me a long time until I got through it. Actually, Lois and I had two different daily uh, Bibles, and we traded. I don't think we... She got through, I think, a little ahead of me, and so. but we traded them the next year. But uh, it's a challenge again. I, You know, to, to read God's Word and to meditate on it. And uh, we need that more than ever today. God's Word can be trusted. Notice verse 32... What David's saying there, for who is God? Save the Lord. And who is a rock? Save our God. I believe David's saying, it's only God, and only God, and only God. There's no else. There's none other. Who else can we trust besides God? There's no room for any other gods. God is the only one that is worthy of our devotion. Well, God's ways are perfect. Verse 33, notice what it says. God is my strength and power, and he makes my way perfect. So if God is perfect, and I'm committed to his way, he'll make my ways perfect too, or complete. Can we praise the Lord? Do you think 2018 will be a perfect 2018? Well, in the sense that we commit ourselves to being what God wants us to be, it will be a perfect 2018. And as much as we are possible, humanly possible, I believe it can be a perfect 2018. Notice verse 34, strength and stability talks about. talks about his feet slipping. Uh, but as we walk with the Lord through 2018, we can experience stability in Christ. Verse 37 talks about him knowing the path. It says, thou hast enlarged my steps under me so that my feet did not slip. God knows the path. Who knows who knows it better? God has trodden the way before. We need to reach up and take his hand and, and allow us, allow him to guide us through 2018, through the journey of life. Verses 38 through 42 talk about the enemies. 
Uh, and I'm not exactly sure. David faced enemies that probably in a different way than you and I faced them. Different than Jacob Hertzler faced them. <laughs> uh, Jacob Hostetler. Am I saying Hertzler? Jacob Hostetler. The novel hasn't Hertzler, I think. Anyway. But uh, what I understand from the scripture here, notice he says, It is God that avengeth me, and that bringeth down the people under me. That's in verse 48. Leave the vengeance to God. And it also mentions the idea of strangers. Um, You know, I I encounter strangers sometimes, people I don't know. Uh, But, you know, there are no strangers to God. I don't know if that thought has ever entered your mind. There are no strangers to God. And uh, I was thinking about that also in relation to the Sunday school lesson. You know, God is not willing that any should perish. Um, and, you know, you think of God's sovereign will He's and the sacrifice that he paid through the gift of his son, Jesus Christ. But yet God, you know, lets man make that choice, so whether to accept his salvation or not. So whether they're strangers or not, they're not strangers to God. May God use us as we go through 2018, to reach out to strangers and to tell them the news of salvation, perhaps. Verse 47 is another powerful verse. The Lord liveth, and blessed be my rock, and exalted be the God of the rock of my salvation. I appreciated the the song that Justin led. The Lord liveth, 2018. Yes, God is very much alive today yet, and he is alive in and through 2018. As long as time will stand. Will God let us to get to 2019? I don't know. I can't promise you that. But we are on the threshold of 2018, and we're not there yet. Tonight we'll pass into that time. And, uh, you know, God is, is faithful. We can trust him. Verse 51, David talks about being anointed. He is the tar of salvation. He is the tar of salvation for his king and showeth mercy to his anointed. You know, as I thought about David being anointed for a purpose, a specific purpose in God's work, God's kingdom, at that a specific time, I believe you and I can lay claim to the promise that we are likewise anointed by the, by the indwelling presence of God's Spirit within our lives. We are anointed by God to be uh, vessels of, of honor for his work in his kingdom 2,000 years, some 2,000 years after Christ. So I hope as we've looked at this psalm of David, there's a portion of this actually that I think is is carried over into the psalms. Psalms uh, 18, I believe it is maybe. Just a portion of it, a smaller portion of it. But I like the psalm in its entirety. And uh, the, the encouragement that it gives us as we face 2018. Um, may God help us to be faithful as we anticipate the new year.